Good evening. Like Randall said, my name is John. It's good to be with you. Um, I am incredibly humbled uh, to be here, but also extremely excited uh, to learn what we uh, are going to be learning from God's Word together. You know, uh, my wife and I, we actually used to be in college ministry for a couple of years, and I had completely forgotten how late things start. It, you know, by this time in the night, we have put our son to bed. We've watched an episode of Ted Lasso, and we're asking ourselves, should we watch The Office or go to bed? Nine times out of ten, it's The Office, but, you know, that one time, usually it's go to bed. Uh, so if there's one thing that you take away from this, you're going to get older and you're going to go to bed earlier. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> but you'll always have The Office. Um, all right, we'll get into it. Last week, Randall kicked off. Uh, I hope you call. I hope it's okay. I call him Randall because mine. Ain't, okay, Randall kicked off a new series in the book of Genesis, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, so if you go ahead, grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis. It's the first book in the Bible, um, and I'm really excited because I've actually been doing uh, some personal study in Genesis recently. It is an amazing book. And since you guys all stay up late, I just encourage you, stay up late and read the whole book. I know it's a lot, but it is an amazing book. Um, it's the beginning of creation. It's the beginning of the story of humanity. It is God's plan and purpose for people. It is a story of tragedy, of how the first people, Adam and Eve, they sinned, they disobeyed God. The world fell into ruin and despair. Our relationship with God was broken. And at the same time, it's a story of great hope. Even in the first few chapters of Genesis, we see that God was already writing the story of redemption to bring people like you and me back into a right relationship with him. Because that's what God had intended from the very beginning. He didn't move away from people. It was the exact opposite. You see, the Bible teaches us who God is and what he is like and what his character is like. He is full of mercy in grace. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in loyal love. And we know that the Bible is one story that leads us to Jesus. And tonight we're going to get a picture of that in Genesis 15. So in this chapter um, is all about belief. God makes promises and Abraham believes. And tonight we're going to see the same thing uh, is true for us. God is going to make promises and we have to choose. Are we going to believe him or are we going to try to work things out on our own? And just so you know, uh, I am kind of a Bible nerd. I don't know if I'm smarter than Randall, better looking than Randall, but we do have, sorry, had to. It was low-hanging fruit. Um, but we will be looking at a lot of different verses. Uh, so my, my ask is just pay attention. We'll be covering a lot of kind of technical things, if you will. So you thought class was over? Sorry, you got a night class this week. Um, all right, so I have got three points for us, and the first one is, believe God is your anchor. Believe God is your anchor. So look with me, Genesis 15, 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. 
And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So last week we learned uh, in that God first came to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And here we see that God is once again uh, coming to Abraham. But a lot has happened between Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. So when you last saw Abraham, he was just beginning his journey into the promised land uh, that God was going to give him. But since then, Abraham has gone down to Egypt. He has come back out of Egypt. If you remember, Abraham was with his nephew Lot. Both of their families have grown Uh, And so the land cannot support both of them. So they actually go their separate ways. There is war that breaks out between local kings. Lot and his family, they get taken away. Abraham hears of this. And so he gathers his men up. He goes, kicks some butt, and he brings Lot back. All of this has happened in three chapters. We just sort of gloss all over that. But now here in Genesis 15, it says, And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. A lot has happened, but God's promise to Abram remains the same. He will have land and descendants. Abraham responds. He says, God, I hear what you're saying, but you haven't given me any children. So how will you make me a great nation like you promised? Which is a fair question. God says, Abraham, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars which is an incredible passage of scripture, but I would argue that the next verse is actually one of the most important verses in Genesis, verse six. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Abraham's faith is on full display here. He believes, he takes God at his word. Now it's important that we read this carefully because it says that Abraham believed God. Not that he believed in God. And the Hebrew would actually support this. So to believe someone simply means to accept what he or she says is valid, accurate, or credible. To believe somebody is accurate, valid, or credible. To believe in someone is to adopt a much more comprehensive faith and trust. You see, it's possible that we can believe in God, but not believe God. We can believe in God that he is our Lord and that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And at the same time, we cannot believe him, meaning that we, uh, we might not accept what he says is true or accurate or credible. But for Abraham, he believed God. He knew that what God was saying was true. We see his faith. Abraham says, God, what you say, regardless of what I see in front of me, regardless that I have no children, that I do not see the land. I know what you say is accurate and credible. I believe you. Uh, To help us with this, listen to what it says in Hebrews 6. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there is no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. It goes on, it says, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. 
This is what Genesis 15:6 is all about. God was Abraham's anchor for his soul. Abraham's faith went deep down into the firm foundation who is God, his character and his word. So Abraham believed God. You know, they say that sometimes failure can be the best teacher. And that is certainly true of me. So it was the fall of 2018, and life was a little stressful. Um, I was finishing up seminary, and we had just hired an additional city groups director for a West location, so we had a lot going on at the church. Um, and then very unexpectedly, my wife and I became parents when we adopted our son. Now, it is a much longer story, but the thing you need to know is that basically in the course of a week, we, became, uh, we went from not knowing if we would ever be parents to having a newborn in our house. So it was an incredible season for our lives uh, and a little more than stressful. And so it was about this time over the, the summer, the fall, I, I started having these uh, strange episodes, kind of what I would, uh, the best I could describe it as kind of like tunnel vision. People were talking to me, but I couldn't understand them. Um, and then I would try to respond, but I couldn't get anything out. And I mean, I just thought it was stress and anxiety. I'm trying to write papers and we have a newborn who stays up all night. Um, but I went to the doctor anyway, and they ran a few tests. And at the follow-up appointment, the doctor told me that I'd been having mild seizures. This was certainly not what I thought the doctor was going to say. I thought, well, why don't you take a nice vacation? No, he told me that I was having mild seizures. Um, and he said, thankfully, there's no tumor or abnormalities. Well, praise God, that's incredible. I didn't even think that that was a possibility. And I'm thinking, well, okay, well, how did these start? What, what, what's going on here? And he said, get this, he said, sometimes these things just happen. You are my doctor. You are the medical expert, and you are telling me? I don't know. Why am I paying you money? Like, I don't know why this is happening either. I could have saved myself some money. But what, what we see is that in that season of my life, God was not the anchor of my soul. You see, I, I didn't understand. I've always been, been uh, healthy. I've never broken a bone. I rarely get sick. And I'm thinking, how could this happen to me? I was confused. I was angry. I'm not sure of what the future is going to look like. I begin asking myself, okay, what's the treatment? Will this ever go away? Is it going to get worse? And I think actually for the first time in my life, I began to recognize my own mortality. Now, I praise God that these kinds of seizures can be managed by medication, uh, and I haven't had one for over two years. So definitely praise God for that. But what I believe God was doing, he used this diagnosis to reveal to me that he just wasn't the anchor of my soul. I believed in God. I knew that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but I didn't believe God. You see, do you see the difference there? Um, God, his word says that he is full of love. He has a firm foundation. I was focusing far too much on my present circumstances and what my future expectations were, but I was missing that he is the one who grounds my soul. That my anchor needs to be deep down into who he is. Otherwise, I'm just going to get tossed by the waves and the storms of life. Now, I still wrestle with believing God, to accept that what he says is accurate and that it's true. And honestly, there are still times when, when my anchor will come up that I'll begin to uh, experience and getting tossed by the waves and the wind of life. 
And this is where it requires regular discipline for me to remind myself that God is actually the anchor of my soul. Now, I need to ask you, what is the anchor of your soul? What is the thing that you return to time and time again when, uh, again, believing that it will always be there for you when the storms of life are, are just coming your way and they're hitting you? You know, do you believe that uh, the anchor of your life is your education or maybe your future career? Well, what if you don't get the job that you want? Or what if, unfortunately, you're let go? Now, do you believe that the anchor of your life is your athleticism or maybe your talents? What are you going to do when you get old and your back starts hurting for no reason? You go to bed early. You talk with your friends about how many steps you had on your Fitbit. And then you watch reruns of The Office and life is still good. Or do you believe that you will always have that one relationship? Or maybe, maybe a family member? But what happens when that relationship ends? Or you have a falling out with your family or you might break up with that person? What do you do then? So it's likely that even right now that you've identified what that thing is. I believe that God reveals these things to us, and so what is that thing for you? And if not, if you're still sitting there, you're wondering, you're processing, my encouragement to you is that you would leave here spending time thinking about that, praying about that. Ask God, what is that thing? Why is that thing, the thing that you turn to again and again, that you believe is the anchor of your life, and it's just not? That it's only God who can be the anchor of your soul. Because when the waves and circumstances of life come your way, there is no substitute for God. Now, I've got a lot of different Bible verses, but I really want you to pay attention. Listen to what God's word says about his, his unchanging character. Numbers 23, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and he will not fulfill it? Isaiah 40, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Psalm 102, of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe. And they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. Do you believe these things? Do you believe the unchanging nature of God? Do you believe that he is and is only worthy to be the anchor of your soul? Is it buried down deep for you? So is, do, do you believe that God is your anchor? We'll move on here in Genesis. Our second point is believe God keeps his promises. Believe God keeps his promises. We'll start in Genesis 15, 7. And he, God, said to him, Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. 
And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. What is happening here? What is with all of these animals? Uh, He's going out, he's getting a heifer and goats and birds. And, you know, this is where context is really important. And if you notice that uh, we just saw that Abraham believed the Lord, but now Abraham is saying, how can I know? How can I know that you're going to do what you say? And God tells him, go get these animals and I'm going to show you. And if you notice, Abraham doesn't question God's instructions. To Abraham, he knew exactly what God was doing, but to our modern ears, it seems so strange. So listen to this, this is kind of the nerdy part. What's happening is that God is initiating a covenant or a contract with Abraham. And so God is using conventional means of the time to show, uh, to show Abraham that he can trust God at his word. So if you think about it this way, think about a wedding. So I performed my first wedding a couple years ago. No, I didn't tell the bride and groom that it was my first. It's kind of like, you know, do you really want to know that this is your surgeon's first surgery? Something you probably don't want to bring up. Um, They are still happily married, I think. No, they are. That one's stuck. Um, uh, I've got a perfect record so far. (laughs) Anyway, anyway. But what happens at a wedding? What happens at a wedding? The bride and the groom, they exchange vows. They each promise to love and cherish one another for better or worse, in plenty, in need, in sickness, and in health. And then they back up these promises, this covenant that they're making, by signing a marriage certificate. So this functions as a binding contract that neither the bride or groom uh, will break their promises. And if they do, there are going to be consequences. And that's exactly what's happening uh, here between God and Abraham. So it is a covenant between two parties. A covenant between two parties was always ratified by the sacrifice of mutually recognized and ritually ritually appropriate animals. So this practice was so common that it was referred to as uh, cutting a deal or cutting a covenant, which was very literal if you ask the animals. And so it it was also a visual representation of the consequences for the obligations of the covenant. So in the book of Jeremiah, it kind of describes it this way. It says, may what has happened to these animals happen to me if I fail to keep my oath. It seems like a pretty effective way to make sure that people are going to keep their promises, if you ask me. And so here, once again, we see the true character of God on display. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in loyal love. Essentially, Abraham says, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. And God is gracious to answer that request and to show Abraham that God keeps his promises. And so the text goes on. Look with me at verses uh, 12 through 16. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. 
And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. All right, so where are we? The sacrifices of the covenant have been prepared. They have been laid out. God reiterates his promise to Abraham's offspring uh, that, he will give them a, that he will give Abraham offspring and that they will have a land to possess. Uh, but notice here that not everything God says is going to happen in a nice and happy, cheery way. He says that Abraham's offspring will be slaves in a different land and that they will experience great persecution. And this is referring to Israel's time in Egypt. And what's more, God flat out tells Abraham that he will never actually possess or be in the promised land that God promises him. And so Abraham will never see his family, what they will become in the land that they will inherit. So in this moment, all Abraham can do is look at God and say, I believe in your promises. I believe that you keep promises. And I wonder for us, have, have we ever been there? Have you ever been there? Have you ever cried out to God because of your present circumstances or your future expectations? Have you said, God, I believe, help my unbelief. And I assure you that God will answer you in a gracious and loving way, but it probably won't be quite what you expect it to be. You see, it's important for us to realize that God has no obligation, no obligation to live up to our expectations of how he will work in our lives. He's not obligated to do that. His ways are not our ways. and We must be prepared to acknowledge that his way is the best way. God's way is always the best way. And so just like Abraham's family, God, uh, not only do God's plans often involve difficulties, they often take a long time to unfold. And if you try to hurry God along or get through whatever's in front of you and get to the next thing in life, you will likely grow impatient with God. You see, we are increasingly impatient people. Our Wi-Fi signal is weak. We get angry. The person in front of us, they don't go at the red light. They don't go right when it's green. We might lay on our horn and say some not very nice things. Can you believe that we still have to sit through ads on Hulu if you don't pay for the premium, which I don't because I'm cheap? Can you believe that? I want to get to the next thing. Show me the next thing in my show. See, we are always in a hurry to get to the next thing, and we actually end up missing the present and we treat our relationship with God the same way. We put our future expectations for our lives ahead of our present relationship with God. And so you might cry out, God, I believe, help my unbelief. But could it be that what you're really saying is, God, just get me through this already? What are you missing when you do this? What are you missing when you try to hurry God along? Could it be that, that, that you are missing something that he is trying to teach you in that moment? That he's trying to be with you in such a way that you would never have been with him if you were just to move on to the next thing? So my encouragement to you is to slow down. Our world is fast and we can become very impatient. But my encouragement to you is to slow down. The greatest reward for Abraham was God himself. And the same is true for you and for me. Jesus Christ is our great reward. 
And so no matter what the future holds, God will always keep his promises. Now, again, I've got some passages. I want you to listen to these promises of God. Really listen to these promises. Isaiah 41. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. 2 Timothy 2, it says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And I really want you to listen to this one. Listen to this at Romans 8. For I am sure that neither death, death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you believe these things? Do you believe that God keeps his promises just as he says? Point two, believe God keeps his promises. Our third and our final point, believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This is Genesis 15, 17 through 21. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaim and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites, the Jebusites, the Electrolytes. <laughs> there was a lot there. So no, no Electrolytes. So we, we hear all of these names, and we can get lost in all of that, and it might not look like it, but this passage right here is the gospel. This passage is the gospel. So let me show you what I mean. So remember the scene. Everything for making a covenant, covenant was there. You had the two parties. You had God, and you had Abraham. Um, you, the ritual animals had been cut into, they had been laid on the ground. And the stipulations of the covenant, God has recited them again. He reiterates the, the terms of the covenant. Now, at this point in normal covenants, um, this is the part where the two parties are supposed to walk down the aisle between the sacrifices to confirm the oaths being made. But did you notice what happened? It was only a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch that passed through these pieces. So what's this all about? First the animals, now this smoking fire pot, flaming torch. Now it's important for us to know that throughout the Old Testament, fire was regularly used uh, to represent God. So if you think about the burning bush and Moses, or if you think about uh, the, the pillar of fire that was leading Israel through the, the wilderness and through the desert. And so, so what we have to know is this, that it that who, who was it that passed between the sacrifices to confirm the covenant? It was God alone. It was only God. By his actions right there, God is declaring, what may, what has happened to these animals happen to me if I fail to keep my oath? This is what God is saying. He's the only one who's walking down. He says, may what has happened to these animals happen to me if I fail to keep my oath. And we know that God, as he announces this, he's not going to fail to keep the covenant. But Abraham is there. 
And when we consider the whole story of the Bible, we know that God didn't fail, but the children of Abraham, all of his offspring and us, we do fail at keeping this. And so now we have to ask the question, whose flesh was torn to pay the price for this broken covenant? Do you see it? Do you see it was, it was the God-man, Jesus Christ himself, the representative of humanity whose flesh was torn to appease the broken stipulations of the covenant. So here in the opening chapters of the Bible, we hear the echoes of the gospel, and we see the story of redemption already beginning to play out. So it was the summer of 2001. I was at a church camp in Ohio, and that was the first time that, first time, the only time, that I believed in Jesus. It was in a rec room that overlooked a lake. I heard the gospel for the first time. I heard that God created people to be in a relationship with him. And I learned how those people disobeyed. They sinned against God and that it was my sin that separated me from God. And it didn't matter how hard I tried to keep the terms of this covenant um, that God had set to keep his laws, I would always come up short. And as we've seen tonight, coming up short only leads to death. When I realized that it was God alone who kept both ends of the deal, his end and my end, only then did the gospel become good news. It was, it was then that I had, uh, my eyes were open to the truths of the Bible, to listen and, uh, to the truths of the Bible. And I want to I share some of those truths with you. Again, put on your listening ears, as I would say to my son. Um, here's what the Bible says. Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5, but God shows us his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In John 1, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, these verses are wonderful truths, but it was only after I believed in Jesus that they became truly good news for me. You see, I've been saved from my rebellion, and I have been brought into God's family. As it would say, I received him, I believed, and I am now a child of God. So what does this mean for all of us? So I've got two points of application, one for those who don't believe in Jesus and one for those who do believe in Jesus. So first, it's very simple. If you don't believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus. Would you even do that tonight? You see, you got to remember that there's a difference between believing God and believing in God, believing in Jesus. So it's very possible that you believe that God created everything, and you believe that he is merciful, and that he is gracious, and that he is full of love. You might even believe that, uh, that the Bible is God's word and that you search the pages uh, for some kind of answer or for comfort. But it does, none of these things do you any good if you don't first believe in Jesus. You see, that was, that was me that, that summer at camp. I believed these things about, about God. I grew up in the church. I had heard these truths about him, um, but I never had believed in him. And when I believed in him, I began to see these truths in a new light. And so my ask is that you would consider what you've learned tonight. Consider what we've learned from Genesis. That Jesus was the faithful one who never sinned or broke the stipulations of the covenant. 
but he still bore the consequences of your sin on your behalf. Jesus came knowing full well that he would have to die. May I become like these animals if I fail to keep the oath. He did that for us. And if you believe in Jesus, I promise he is a great reward and he will never let you down. He will be that anchor for your soul. And so if this is you, uh, I would encourage you, talk with someone about it tonight. This might be a staff member. It could be somebody in a city group or maybe somebody that brought you here tonight. But what I do know is that this conversation, this decision is too important for you to put off or to, or to, to, to wait until a different time. So please, would you do that tonight? And second, for those of you that do believe in Jesus, uh, praise God. You are part of his covenant family, and there's nothing that you can do to revoke your status as a child of God, because your status relies solely on what he did for you. But I also have to ask, if you believe in Jesus, where in your life do you not believe him, meaning that you don't accept what he says is valid or accurate or credible? Where in your life are you looking for other things to be the anchor of your soul? Where in life are you not believing the promises of God and you, are, you simply want to rush to the next thing and that you're missing your present relationship with him? What are those things for you? And so the application is the same for you. Would you talk with somebody about it? This could be uh, whoever is, is discipling you, somebody in your huddle, somebody in your city group. Um, but what are the areas that have been revealed to you tonight that you need to talk about. You need to confess, you need to repent of, God, I have been placing my hope, my anchor in things that are not you. My anchor has come up. Please, God, would you help me see that you are the anchor for my soul? Would it bury down deep into the firm foundation of who he is? Additionally, I would say focus on what is important. Major in the majors and minor in the minors. Read the Bible and know Jesus. Don't get caught up in the debates of, of creation. Was it evolution? Was it, uh, you know, seven day? Don't get caught up in denominations or the end times. If it's happening, if it's not happening, it will happen. But don't get caught up in these things. Major in the majors, minor in the minors, minor in the minors. Put Jesus first and everything else, I promise you, will fall, us in, fall into place. And if you do this, the next time you cry out, God, I believe Help my unbelief. Your anchor will be deep into that firm foundation of the Lord, and you'll be able to recall who he is, his grace, his loyal love, his mercy. You'll be able to quickly recall that he has gone to the cross for you, and he brought you into a right relationship with God. So please, would you put Jesus first? So the question is, who is God? He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of relationships who from the very beginning was writing the story of redemption to bring people into his family. Let me ask, do you know that God tonight? Do you know that he is the God of relationships, that he did come, that his body was torn just as these animals were on your behalf? Do you know the price that he paid? It's because he loves you. He is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger, and he is abounding in loyal love. So he is the anchor for your soul. He always keeps his promises. 
and he alone is the one who can save you. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come before you. We know that you hear us and that you see us and that you love us. How good is your word that you would choose to reveal yourself to us. God, even from the beginning, this has been your plan that that you intended to be with us in a relationship. And throughout all of scripture, we know that you are working to fulfill that and it ultimately comes to Jesus. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that does not believe in you, convict them. Show them your sin. Would they turn and would they trust? And God, for those of of the people in the room who are crying out, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Would you meet them right where they are? God, I pray that they wouldn't miss you, that they wouldn't rush past this just to get to the next thing. God, help them to slow down. See how beautiful you are. Show them your word. God, as we worship, we just praise you. We thank you so much for all that you've done. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.